It's 1130 on a Tuesday. It's time for midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. 20th day of April. Glad to be a part of your day wherever you may be listening. Everybody's here. Jason Jorgensen coming in. We'll recap the volleyball game as the Husker season came to an end yesterday. Meanwhile, Bob Broken will step in and tell us why stocks are kind of slumping so far here on this Tuesday. And of course, coming up in about 15 minutes, Paul will tell us if we're officially done with snow this season or if there's another round possibly later this week. But let's first start with their own Susan Littlefield to give us a preview of what's to come today on midday. And first stop, Susan, how much snow did you get in your neck of the woods? Um, not enough to even really measure. I, I posted a few pictures of some snow that gathered in the tulips, but that was about it. Well, that's not too bad. Nobody's complaining about that. No, not at all. Now they just want warmer temperatures. Right. I think those are coming up. We'll find out more later. Uh, but what do you have for us coming up on midday? We'll kick it off here at 1219. I'll be uh, speaking with a professor of economics at the University of Wisconsin Stout as he's doing some CAFO research that he's hoping will have some economic impacts all the way across the nation. Then at 1245, Whitney will come in as part of Nebraska's looking dry heading into the summer of 2021. We'll hear some comments on a range cow production system that specialists from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and how to prepare a potential drought. And then at 117, Alex will come in as we continue with our Women in Ag feature. This time, Tori Dickerson, or Dickinson, excuse me, she's from southeast Kansas and had a time to take over her farm when her husband lost his battle with cancer. So we'll have more on that on the midday. All right, good stuff coming up. Appreciate it, Susan. We'll talk to you uh, coming up. Sounds good. All right, let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen in sports. And the Husker volleyball season came to an end yesterday against a pretty feisty Texas team. And unfortunately, it was Texas and then Texas and some of their fans throwing some shade at the Huskers afterwards on Twitter that got some play. Uh, you got to admit, the one was pretty good when they took the picture of the cornfield that said, so much for a cornfield advantage. You know, that one hurts. Then they had one this morning. Did you see that yeah. one? Basically, in the forecast, something-something, uh, no sun. Yeah, so they were like going that. after Lexi's yeah. son, so yeah, yeah good listen, to see them taking the high road. I, I kind of <laughs> like all the pettiness that all these teams do, because, listen, it's not just the college ranks, it's at the national big league ranks as well, so it's all fun and games. Uh, Longhorns with a lot of firepower, and Nebraska yeah. didn't do what they needed to do to try to neutralize that. We'll get the thoughts of head coach John Cook on what was certainly a weird year for Husker Volleyball. Also, uh, coming up Thursday night, big event in Kearney for UNK football with the Loper Backers event. This is one of the biggest fundraisers for the program. They are expecting a big turnout. We'll hear from Coach Josh Lynn about that. And good news for Husker men's basketball. Isaac Trout, he's a four-star recruit now. He's a forward out of Grand Island. He's making an official visit to Lincoln in early June. So that's changed from an unofficial to an official visit. So Maybe the Huskers climbing the ladder a little bit. And his preferred uh, favorites. Be nice to keep an in-state oh, yeah. guy for once. Oh, yeah. yeah, so letting him go <laughs> yeah, somewhere for once. and thrive. <laughs> All right, we'll hear more about that coming up later. Uh, Bob Rogan, how are stocks performing? Well, they're a little bit lower, but then, uh, you know, uh, we have to uh, we appreciate the uptimes more because we've been through the downtimes. So anyway, right. so we're watching that. That's pretty much what's going on. Also, some more information about that. 
Johnson and Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine. Okay, thank you much. All that and more on Field Work is in full swing and we know you're in the tractor from sunup to way past sundown. ARVN the River and Cami are geared up for 2021 spring breaks. We'll be the ones driving up in a vehicle from Pony Express, Chevrolet and Buick, Gothenburg and Pony Express Ford Minden, bringing you a hot meal from Skeeter Barnes, the best Nebraska corn-fed beef and slow-smoked barbecue in Kearney. Time for regional ag weather update. Paul Perkins stepping into the studio once again. And, well, Paul, some areas uh, saw some little bit of snow once again. And, unfortunately, doesn't look like we're uh, out of the woods yet. No, some more chances of snow in the forecast. Maybe some light rain could be mixed with some snow this afternoon into this evening. Another chance of that as we head towards Wednesday, uh, tomorrow night into Thursday morning. But a lesser uh, chance than what we did see with this last system. The system right now, again, we, we talked about later this afternoon into this evening, rain and snow mix, but the northern half of Nebraska is already beginning to see a little bit of precipitation. Yes, a little bit of scattered activity, probably in the way of some a light rain snow mix from about Valentine to just north of Broken Bow on over to about Hyannis and then back towards the, the Shattered and Gordon area. And that activity gradually moving to the southeast already. Some puffy cumulus clouds starting to pop up and quite a bit of snow did fall over north central Kansas, especially that I-70 corridor uh, long and south of the line from about Concordia down to Goodland and then southwestward down to about Garden City, they saw upwards of around four to five inches of snow. And if you do look at a visible satellite photo right now, you will really see that snow area, uh, not so much in the north central part of Kansas, but definitely from Concordia and Goodland and points to the south, quite a bit of snow on the ground towards that I-70 corridor. Most of the areas in Nebraska didn't quite see that much snow, What maybe about a skiff uh, trace yesterday? Yeah, and right along the Kansas border, maybe about an inch or two is okay. what we did see for reports. But uh, it is warming up right now, but a little more precipitation still in the forecast. Yeah, that's right. Right now we're only seeing 30s and 40s, and maybe that's about as warm as it's going to get. Yes, uh, maybe a little bit warmer for today, but not a whole lot. Uh, temperatures in much of Nebraska right now, upper 30s to the low 40s. Still have some low 30s from Valentine and on into North northwest part of nebraska and also temperatures over northern kansas a little bit cooler than what we saw in or seen in nebraska the mid to upper 30s in many locations and still some low 30s as you head towards imperial and mccook right now a breezy day expected today a mix of sun and clouds temperatures 15 to 20 degrees colder than normal as high pressure builds in behind departing low pressure some scattered rain and some light snow possible for this afternoon through this evening as the disturbance slides to the southeast our skies will clear out tonight but that will make for some quick cooling a hard freeze is likely once again with most locations cooling to near record lows in the low to mid 20s we already saw some of those low to mid 20s with the snow cover into southwest kansas last night damaging some of the winter wheat highs tomorrow and thursday will be 15 degrees below average not as chilly for tomorrow night we could see a weak disturbance bring in a chance for some light rain or snow late tomorrow night into thursday morning and another with an isolated rain chance as we head towards late saturday night but that one really looks Looks iffy. A building rich of high pressure, mostly keeping Friday through Monday mainly dry with the warming trend. Seasonal highs on Friday will warm to as much as 15 degrees warmer than usual by Monday. So we're going to see about a 
30 degrees turnaround in our daytime highs over the next five days. The latest long-term forecast not looking as mild as the outlook from yesterday. The latest forecast indicates seasonal to slightly above normal temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas for Sunday through the first three days of next month. Below normal rainfall predicted for Nebraska and Kansas the early half of next week. But late next week through May 3rd does turn more active with slightly above normal precipitation. Thanks to the cold, soil temperatures dropping at 7 this morning and 4 inches down. Soil temperatures in all of Nebraska in the upper 30s. Nearly all of Kansas had soil temperatures in the low 40s. The exception for southeast Kansas where soil temperatures were in the mid 40s. Key weather factors driving the markets include intense cold in the central U.S. and varying amounts of rain for winter corn areas of Brazil. Cold weather in the Midwest will continue the next two days. Hard freezes may occur for much of the Midwest, doing damage to winter wheat and early planted corn. Temperatures moderate with some more seasonal temperatures seven to ten days from now. In the western half of the southern plains, hard freezes last night may have damaged the wheat. Risk for hard freezes continue through most of the weekend, making it to the eastern southern plains also, where corn planting and emergence are more advanced. The northern plains only seeing light precipitation the next seven days, where drought is well established in much of the region. Temperatures will stay well below normal, keeping the spring field work delayed. Central Brazil received some useful rain this past weekend. South central Brazil, though, was dry. Most of Brazil's winter corn areas are forecast to have only light rain this week, which is unfavorable for their winter corn. Primary Argentina crop areas, they will see more rain the next five days, causing a new round of harvest delays. So the key word we're looking at is a phrase, I should say, is hard freeze. That's something that we're keeping an eye on. Yes, uh, tonight into the low to mid-20s for practically everybody in our mm. listening area. Uh, maybe some upper 20s into the east, and that will be near record territory in many locations. So definitely this is out of the norm for cold this time of year. Thinking maybe by Friday that might be the last of the hard freeze? Potentially, it, it it should be um, because yeah we're going to be getting into May and uh, those record highs a little bit, record lows definitely out of the question and the fourteen day outlook it has cooled down somewhat but uh, don't be surprised if we still see some uh, at least frost and freezes because mm. we are starting to get into the time period of the year where uh, freezes and frost are kind of out of the norm and we may start seeing some freeze warnings and frost advisories. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, for a full weather forecast, where can they find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you. A University of Wisconsin Stout Economic Assistant Professor in the Social Science Department is part of a groundbreaking research study on concentrated animal feeding operations, or CAFOs. Now, he specifically looked at the state of Wisconsin. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Zach Rath co-authored CAFOs and Surface Water Quality, Evidence from Wisconsin, and it looks at 23 years of large animal operations, most of which are dairy, and their impacts on surface water quality in the state using the state data on CAFO locations and surface water quality. This this concentration in the industry, um, the way that I really look at it is it's sort of the, the train has already left the station 
the economics are just too strong. The technological change, the economies of scale, uh, when you're buying you know, feed at such large scales, you can save a lot of money. The inputs are much, much uh, cheaper, which allows you to produce more milk at a cheaper price or more dairy products. And so there's, you know, there's a very negative light on this uh, concentration of the industry. You know, you, you see studies that say, well, you know, it, water quality is bad, uh, all sorts of bad outcomes. And so I, I decided, me and my co-author, who's also from Wisconsin, um, we decided to look at, you know, just the, the first thing that people mostly say is, well, there's bad water quality outcomes from this concentration in the industry. So we decided to look at it from more of a causal, long-term perspective. We had noticed a lot of what, in my mind, it was poorly done research that looked at one large dairy operation or one large hog operation and said, well, here's the lake that's right next to that one operation and here's a water quality sample. And therefore they automatically attributed the declines in water quality to that K4, that large operation. Assistant Professor Raft also talked about the economic side of their research. The reason behind, you know, the fact that we're saying this is actually, these are not the worst you know, this is not a terrible event. Okay. Um, these costs, this $200,000 is about only about 4% of a CAFO's revenues that they're bringing into the area. So I gave the example of Kiwani County. Uh, Kiwani County was actually recruiting the CAFOs because they bring about $5 million in sales revenue. Each uh, dairy CAFO in the state brings about $5 million in sales revenues. And what we're actually a current ongoing project. So the water quality was simply the first. Uh, it's kind of low hanging fruit because, again, it was what people kind of mention. And we had seen poorly done research. So we wanted to say, OK, here is this value. Now, the next uh, study that we're working on is because of this consolidation of the concentration of the industry. What is actually happening? Well, this five million dollars in sales revenue from the average uh Dairy CAFO in the state is also producing jobs. They're bringing in, so the, the largest reason that, uh, you know, Kiwani County wanted these operations is because they're also paying taxes. And so when you're paying taxes on $5 million versus an average uh, tax base of a smaller farm is around $500,000, $5 million is going to have higher taxes. There's going to be better jobs and what those taxes do and what our next study is looking at is public good provision. Those comments are coming from the University of Wisconsin Stout Economic Assistant Professor Zach Raff. Even though this study was Wisconsin-based, he's hoping the results of this study and future studies will be able to make a model of the economic impact KFOs have across the country. I'm Susan Littlefield, the World Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Sports Director Jason Jorgensen has stepped back in and we're finding out some more information about a uh, local kid potentially staying in Nebraska. Yeah, we hope. Grand Island forward Isaac Trout has now decided to take an official visit to Lincoln as part of his recruiting process. Uh, Trout's visit to Lincoln will take place the weekend of June 4th through the 16th. Now, originally that was supposed to be an unofficial visit. Uh, this week he was actually bumped up to a four-star ranking by Rivals.com and is now considered to be the 61st best player in the country. 
uh, it was a little more than a year ago, he was listed about 150, so he's really wow shot up. His wow. stock continues to go up. In fact, uh, I think just last week he uh, picked up offers from North Carolina and Michigan State. Oh, at least he's you know giving the Huskers a look. The difference between official and unofficial. I mean, what what is the biggest difference? Well, it, it is big in this aspect. Every kid only gets, I think it's five or six official visits. Now, you can take an unofficial visit. So for him to use one of those official visits Serious. to go down the road okay. in an hour to Lincoln, it, it shows some interest. Right. So he's kicking the tires a little bit. He's listening to what Fred Hoiberg has to say. But I'm saying, like, unofficial visit. I mean, what's the difference in terms of, like, they show you the locker room compared to the other one? or what? It also has to do if you're paying for it or if the school is paying okay. for it. Right. So there's, there's a little bit of a difference okay. here. All right. Now, Nebraska's class for 2021 is now considered to be a top 15 class hmm. by most recruiting services. Of course, we have been down this road before. That's where, <laughs> that's where I was going. It's like Nebraska football. Believe it when we see it. Absolutely, Tyler. Nebraska's run through the NCAA volleyball tournament unfortunately came to an end yesterday as the Huskers were stopped in four sets by Texas in the regional final. And head coach John Cook says it was just a weird season. Just It's mind games, and, and um, they've done a really good job of handling it. And I've seen stuff this year that I've never seen before with injuries, with emotional stuff, and it's been it's just been a really interesting year. I hope we can have a normal fall season. Here's a story that came out after the match. Nebraska had four players initially test positive yesterday for the antigen test before they were eventually cleared to play. They were making their ninth straight appearance in a regional final. Also didn't help not having Stiverance uh, available the last couple of games either. A little bit, but I don't know if it would have mattered. Texas was the superior team athletically Mm -hmm. to Nebraska, Mm -hmm. and they were on their game. So uh, we'll see how far they go. 11th Annual Loper Football Backers Dinner and Scholarship Fundraiser is set for this Thursday night at the Eunice Conference Center, and head coach Josh Lynn says this is a big one for the Lopers. This is a big part of, of, of Loper football, especially since I've been here, and I think as the program in general, this is our big fundraiser event. This is what really helps us with our scholarships, and of course we missed last year. So it's a big, big event. Um, you know, there'll be 500 people in the room, you know, live, silent auctions as well as online auctions. And it's just a big event as it pertains to getting us to where we need to be scholarship-wise. Since it was first hosted 11 years ago, this event has raised more than $1.7 million for scholarships and other program needs. The event starts at 5.30. For more information or to order tickets, you can find the link on the community calendar page at krvn.com. That's great. And I uh, was just browsing at the uh, online auction. They've got some great they stuff do have some up pretty there. good stuff there. They, they have room for everyone, so if you'd like to check it out, you'd like more information, go to krvn.com. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. It is time for Midday News, which means Dave Schroeder is now stepping back in the studio. Dave, we're uh, we're talking about a a nice, fun recreational activity that's uh, been happening, but it it may be growing in the Kearney area as well. Yes, well, they're enhancing whitewater canoeing and kayaking uh, through the Kearney Water Trail next spring. Dwayne Lubers, or Franz Lubers, of the Kearney Whitewater Association say they'll be enhancing the water trail and creating a new level of excitement. Not only is this amenity going to be the first of its kind here locally, 
It will be the first of its kind here in the state of Nebraska. That's pretty darn exciting for Kearney when it comes to outdoor water recreation. And I think it also speaks volumes in terms of some of the impact we may see from the tourism industry. People are always seeking out new adventures and places to go to see and I think it's just another reason to put Kearney on the map and show us, you know, what their Whitewater Park is all about. Even though it's going to be a little bit smaller in scale compared to some others across the U.S. The new enhancements will feature a couple of drops, a cleanup, and uh, to beautify along the waterway, as well as public seating to watch the canoers maneuver through. A verdict could come at any time as deliberations resume in the murder trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. The fate of the former Minneapolis police officer is now in the hands of a 12-person jury. Minnesota's governor has brought in extra policing from Ohio and Nebraska just in case there's rioting after the verdict. Nebraska State Patrol spokesman Cody Thomas says the Nebraska team was scheduled to travel to Minnesota this week and is expected to be stationed at state facilities in the Minneapolis area. Nebraska has administered nearly 135,000 doses of coronavirus vaccines last week as the state continues to ramp up distribution of the shots. That's up from roughly 116,000 doses the week before. Former Kansas Governor Jeff Collier has formally launched his campaign to reclaim the office in 2022. He says he's portraying himself as the true conservative in the Republican primary as his main GOP rival questioned his electability. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Whitney Steckle joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Despite wet conditions in 2019 and 2020, some parts of Nebraska are looking at dry conditions heading into the summer of 2021. To learn more about how to prepare for drought and cow-calf systems in our state, we are visiting with Travis Mullenix. Travis is a range cow production system specialist at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, working from the West Central Research Station in North Platte. Travis, after the weather that we have seen in 2019 and 2020, what type of effects has it had on cow herds across the state? You know, we've had some very contrasting weathers across the state last few years of high rainfall events that um, has really caused some, caused issues itself of causing uh, low quality forages earlier on in our grazing season than uh, than average. Uh, and then we've had some some lower rainfall events that has also decreased forage quality or, or quantity as well. And, and so, you know, every year is different. Uh, you know, every rancher uh, farmer needs to have a contingency plan of how to deal with this when this happens. Um, and, and we've seen lower preg rates in some instances, uh, lower calf weaning weight. Um, and, you know, especially with a lot of our harder, uh, we've had a lot of wet spring the last couple of years. And, and a lot of producers are, are, are tired of calving. And so, you know, during that time span, so we're seeing more, more and more producers either uh, move to yearling systems or um, move to a summer calving situation to get out of calving and uh, some of these uh, colder, wet uh, springs that we've had. What do you see in terms of forage value for the cow-calf herds moving into the summer of 2021? Yeah, so a lot of our forages are, are really dictated of the moisture we're getting from right now. Uh, April, May, June, it really dictates our forage quality or quantity itself. And so 
um, likely we've had some moisture this last month that um, could really help with the dry conditions and, and, and keep us out of being too dry or, or in a drought. Uh, but they are really, you know, what drives about 70% of our forage quantity, uh, especially from the uh, western side of the state. Is so, you know, so so a lot of these these rainfalls or the snow that we're getting is, is really going to help with uh, some of those quantity issues that we may be facing if it does get dry and we don't get the moisture in the next couple months. So it's really predictive of, of you know, that, that precip we're going to get or, or would get uh, the next couple months is really going to drive that. And so if it turns off and it gets dry, um, you know, we won't have the forage quantity that we generally have. Uh, quality will be lower as well. And so most producers need to look at their contingency plans of how to deal with that if we don't get that moisture is, you know, what's my trigger dates? of um, do I come in with a different supplementation strategy to stretch forages? Uh, do I need to get rid of some animals and call some animals early? Uh, you know, is there any annual forages under a pivot that can be utilized or, or some kind of byproducts that can be utilized to help stretch the forage spaces that we have? Can you expand a little bit more about what steps producers can take to combat lingering drought conditions before they turn these cows out to summer grass? Yeah, so I always have a plan, whether or not it's, you know, I've got a year supply of hay and to help buffer that system. Um, buying low-quality hay and ammoniating it uh, to turn it into a, a medium-quality uh, feedstuff. Um, looking at your supplementation plan of can, can I feed a certain supplement that will decrease forage intake and substitute forage intake uh, to allow um, the uh, some of that pressure off grazing to come off. Um, early weaning could be an option for a lot of guys. So, uh, weaning that calf about 90 days of age, uh, going into that breeding season and weaning that calf off, uh, it really helps with stretching forage because now you're taking the calf, what that calf would eat, and decreasing her nutrient requirements. And so a lot of drought scenarios, we, we have a couple options from a management side of outside of calling animals or getting rid of some animals to help with that. We have a, a supplementation plan of how can I stretch the forage. And that could be through hay, could be through, let's say, a starch-based supplement that will have a substitution effect, or, or it's through decreasing the nutrient requirements of the cow. And that's the highest nutrient requirement of the cow is, is about 60 days after calving, so peak lactation. And so if I pull that calf off during that time frame and, and decrease her nutrient requirements, that's going to help save some forage as well. In, in some instances, let's say with young females, young cows, that actually really may help with preg rates. Because that's generally where we see the biggest drop in preg rates in a drought condition is in, in younger females. But the problem we get into with, with early weaning is what to do with those calves. And if I don't have the feed stuff, and if I can't walk them up and feed them, that, 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 that creates issues for a lot of producers that don't have that available of how do I, how do I early weed, feed these calves, um, or what to do with these calves. And so for those guys, it's really going to a supplementation plan of how can I stretch the forages as best possible. Well, thank you for your time today, Travis. We sure appreciate it. 
Oh, anytime. That is Travis Mullenix, a Range Cow Production System Specialist for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I am Whitney Steckel reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. With Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks have been mostly lower in afternoon trading as investors started digesting company earnings reports that are steadily coming out this week. On average, analysts expect quarterly profits across the S&P 500 to be up 24% from a year earlier, according to FactSet. Banks and technology stocks were the biggest weights on the market as investors pulled back into a more defensive posture. Utilities and a mix of companies that make consumer goods and household products did better than most of the market. The agency that regulates drugs for the European Union says a warning about rare blood clots should be added to labels for Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine. The European Medicines Agency says these rare blood disorders should be considered as very rare side effects of the vaccine. Last week, Johnson & Johnson halted its European rollout of the vaccine after U.S. officials recommended a pause in the vaccine when they detected six very rare blood clot cases among nearly 7 million people who had been vaccinated. The Biden administration is taking steps to protect the country's electric system from cyber attacks through a new 100-day initiative combining federal government agencies and private industry. The initiative was announced by the Energy Department. It encourages owners and operators of power plants and electric utilities to bolster their capabilities for identifying cyber threats to their networks. A bidding war is breaking out for Kansas City Southern with Canadian National Railway making a $33.7 billion cash-and-stock offer for the railway. The bid trumps a $25 billion cash-and-stock proposal made by Canadian Pacific last month. Shares of Kansas City Southern jumped more than 14% in pre-market trading. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Bergen. This Women in Agriculture series is brought to you by the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture. Tori Dickinson's agriculture story is one that's full of transitions. She's from the southeast corner of Kansas, and she called herself the city girl. Even though she was from a rural community, she had no interest in farming. But when she started dating her future husband, that interest slowly changed. We started dating when I was 16, and um, I was 21 when we got married, so... Other than, you know, just kind of working there in town, it really wasn't that big of a transition. Tori began to learn the ins and outs of farming, and when they married, she was farming right alongside her husband. But then it was time for another transition. Unfortunately, Tori lost her husband to a battle with colon cancer, leaving Tori with a tough decision. Keep the farm or get an office job in town. Which wasn't on the highlight of my list of things to do. So I chose to keep farming, and that's where I'm at today. When Tori and her husband were farming together, she said she did a lot of the bookwork for the operation. But when he passed away, she had to become the head honcho of their operation. So I always joked around when I turned 40, I was going to be retired. And we just had the one son, so I was kind of running after him and doing everything. He was in junior high, but he was at the age where he was extremely active. And then when my husband's diagnosed with cancer, I had to come out of retirement. And I already did the book work, but I've had to learn how to market the grain and 
you know, just the everyday decisions of planting, what to plant, where to plant it, chemical, learning the chemical is a whole new, so that's a new ball game and that changes yearly it seems like. But I have a real good network around me that helps with what seed to put down and what chemical and how much fertilizer, so that's helped a lot. Just kind of slowly transitioned into it, you know, that was that was the decision I made and so we've, we've grown the farm from, we were farming about 2,000 acres when my husband passed away and I've grown it up to about 3,500 acres now. And the thing of it is, is, you know, maybe a lot of people don't really think about it, but getting your landlords who are all men to put faith into you to produce a crop off their acres and for them to stay with me, I think that says a little bit about some of my farming ability. I'm not the best farmer out there, but I'd like to think I'm not the worst. Tori said since taking over the farm full-time and hiring two full-time hired hands, she's had to learn how to think on her feet, and she did that this past year when the pandemic started. I've got a real small, I, I call them my hobby. I've got 20 cows, and so last year I started selling beef to the public for their locker, and I can kind of set my price on there. I don't price gouge anyone, but um, so far everybody seems to be pretty happy and I'm having return customers. How long I'll do that, I don't know, but it's kind of fun watching the little, you know, it's it's what, it's fun watching all those baby calves grow up and and I know, I know how they were treated. I know they're, I know where they're going and that that's kind of, that's kind of fun. It, it doesn't bother me to know that they're going to end up on someone's plate. That's that's why I raise it for. That again is Tori Dickinson of Southeast Kansas. And she said, in addition to her herd of cattle, she raises corn, soybeans, milo, and wheat. This Women in Agriculture series is brought to you by Tyson. Playback on the Rural Radio Network as we take a check of the closing grain trade with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. And John, really another impressive day, kind of setting ourselves up for this. But now where do we go next? Are we looking at maybe six fifty on the corn, $15 on the beans? Well, we're at a point now where you're kind of just throwing darts. You know, you, you try to make sense of what people would pay and why. As far as old crop goes, I mean, if you want to get really bullish, you're looking at where Brazil sits around 720, I think is where they are. Um, you know, I think that's certainly driving the story here. I mean, it's dry in Northwest Iowa. We got problems in the Dakotas. Late plant in early uh, or in uh, the Delta for beans. But other than that, the U.S. weather story is rather calm. What is going to get this market in the short run is, is the, uh, the problem out of Brazil. So I look at that market, use that price, and I think that's where we're going. I mean, I can I'm wrong a lot, so I think the instance of me saying this will probably be wrong, but I, I don't think that you could sway one way or the other of an argument of us trading the dollar higher, uh, especially if, you know, it doesn't rain here in the next week, week and a half, because the the 10-day forecast, you know, they're going to turn real dry, and by that point, the corn will be, it'll be lost. And uh, you saw Informer right down, I think they worked on 6 million today, so they dropped from 85 million metric tons on the second crop down to 79. Well, I would have imagined that's just the first cut they'll give. So short term here, I think there's more up. We'll, we'll watch, uh, you know, the case of corn. I will say this is a corn story. It's not a soybean story. Uh, you know, the weather problems are, you know, 
too late to have them to the beans in Brazil. So I don't know if, if new crop beans have a ton of life left in, the, left in them unless December corn would rally as well. Now we look out here kind of at the more macro version of it, a little bit of a softer day in the equities. Do you think the inflationary story is going to start to rear its head once again, the fact where livestock and grains were higher today? Yeah, it's a, it's a dynamic that, you know, certainly has you scratching your head. But as I sit here and I talk to you, I'm looking at, you know, I'm going to lean on Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a, you know, you can make case one way or the other of what it is and believing in why it's valued where it's valued, but it's worth $56,000. So if something like that is worth $56,000, don't tell me corn can't be worth six or wheat can't be worth seven. Uh, in the case of, of, you know, fundamental stories that shift here, you know, interest rates are down today. I, I think at this point in time, there's a lot of risk taking out there. Um, and I worry that, you know, it'll all end at some point, but the, the egg markets are stout and there is a, uh, a lot of help that could be, that could be coming here. Uh, in regards to price when you look at U.S. weather problems. And we're not even looking at anything whether that uh, registered yet. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing. Do you remember trading futures and options of all of risk of loss? All right, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of Midday. If you miss anything, you can catch the Midday Podcast sponsored by Deveni Motors. That is at krvn.com or wherever uh, podcasts are available.